right. So this is um, is this the fifth one we're doing? This will be the sixth. Six? Nah. Fifth. The other one we're doing is five. You're talking about some future. This is the future <laughs> sixth episode. We're recording the sixth and fifth episode at the same day. But I mean, what's the one we're doing right now? It's the fifth. S- sixth. Oh, my God. All right. <laughs> Two hours later. Four, five, sixth. No, okay. So we're going to do um, a really important album. Uh by a band called The Police. And this is their fourth album out of five total for the band <laughs> called uh, Ghost in the Machine. Uh, came out 1981. It was recorded in a couple different studios in um, Canada with a producer by the name of Hugh Pad- Padham. I don't know how to pronounce that it's, name. Yeah, Padham, P-A-D-G-H-A-M, Padham, who... He also did, like, the Phil Collins solo records. He did Stings. Did he really? That makes sense. Yeah, so what, what Hugh Padham, um, his production credits are Phil Collins. He has a huge list of people he's worked with, but the actual production of albums, like, as a producer, not just an engineer, he did the Phil Collins solo stuff after Genesis. He did uh-huh. Sting solo records. That makes he sense. He did the two, these, he did the Police. Um, Synchronicity. Ghost of the Machine and then Synchronicity. And then he did a Paul McCartney album. Um, I can't recall the title at the moment. And then he did one Human League album. And then he also worked with XTC. Um, <clears throat> so, like, all those things kind of fit. Sound-wise, I think. I could kind of hear that. Because, yeah, this this is like... So this is The Police's fourth album. It's kind of a big jump, uh, even with, like, production-wise, like how just the band itself sounds completely different, their last two albums, compared to the first, you know, three prior to that. And that's kind of common in a lot of cases with bands that, you know came out of the late 70s, went into the 80s. Obviously, there's more technology booms. There's more money. There's, uh, you know, not every band kept evolving. I think this is one band, like, you know, the last one we did, Van Halen, where the core band, Van Halen, being the lineup with uh, David Lee Roth being the singer, they definitely uh, have, like, their, like, it's like Van Halen is... In this lineup, that's the classic, you know, like, output. So with The Police, being that they broke up after Synchronicity, they only put out five records, you kind of can see, like, from the first album to this one, the the progress of songwriting, the progress of production. They obviously get tighter and tighter and tighter musically. Um, but I think that uh, once we get into it, we could start to kind of, like, I don't really want to say dissect, but just analyze, like, you know, the music. And, you know, I, I have some 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 interesting takes on what I think was happening with what I do know about, you know, the album itself. But what do you think? What do you, how do you remember? I remember seeing the album, like, in stores. How do you remember being aware of it? Like, the, I mean, I was just aware of them. I The only thing at this point is 1981... Like, I, th- I want to say my first introduction to reggae music was The Police mm-hmm. because I, didn't, I hadn't heard Bob Marley. Bob Marley was the first recognizable thing that I understood what reggae was mm-hmm. 
in like 83. Like I was like junior high-ish age and I really got into the whole reggae vibe then. But the first thing I ever had from the police was the doo-doo-doo, da-da-da, seven-inch. You had that single. And you remember you had that single at the same time you had the Tide is High by Blondie. Right. I remember you had both of those <laughs> at the same time. And those are both kind of reggae, you know. Yeah, and I think the Tide is High is a cover. I think that's a cover of a reggae song. I can't remember if it it's might an original be. Um, by Blondie. Um, I know their demo version is like hardcore reggae. Yeah. And then it's like they popped it up and like, but it's still got that, you know, like. But yeah, like those were my first, you know, like uh, obviously a lot of what was going on in the in the UK at the time, even though Blondie's from New York, a lot of the stuff that was happening, reggae was huge in the punk rock world. Like a lot of the punk, you know, we talked about this with the, with the Clash and what have you. Mm-hmm. So for me, the police putting out um you know the the do 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 da 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 was like instantaneously i gravitated towards that i bought the seven inch single um i don't remember even one album that was on back then i don't i didn't know the catalog i didn't know yeah. so when the more heady stuff had come out like what, what was do 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 on. That's on Zenyatta Mandata. That's okay. the one with Don't Stand So Close to Me. That's the big hit off that Yeah, album. Don't Stand So Close. Which and has that the, was everywhere. And like that, that has another huge reggae, like, under... I mean, even this album. When I was listening to this album, um, being aware of this release, I don't think I was like, oh, I have to go get this album. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. the police was a band you heard on the radio. Exactly. They weren't somebody who... You had to go and seek out, like, you heard a police song because KMET, KNAC, even the other, I don't remember all the adult, the AOR type radio stations back then, but the ones, the album. Well, there was or, like Kiss FM and. But more like the album orientated rock rec- uh, radio stations, you know, like mm-hmm. KMET would play deeper cuts, KNAC mm-hmm. would play deeper cuts. Um, so you didn't really have to go far to find these songs being played like they were just on the radio naturally there was a lot of deeper stuff on there if you did buy the albums that mm-hmm. you know made sense and they were a cohesive like this is to me this was back in the day when albums were meant to be cohesive like this was an album this wasn't <clears throat> revolved around a single and then we you know put filler on it so um me being aware of it was all hanging on the basis of the earlier singles that had come out that were very reggae tinged um you know reggae influenced songs and i actually to can't honestly say i remember the release of this album i remember seeing because the the cover it's really i don't want to say it's iconic it's pretty it's just eye-catching because back then to what it's it's like it's digital it's it's that like if you had a digital clock where it's it's red uh you know, pigmentation on a black background. And it's basically them just manipulating the, um, the eight, you know, cause basically you can make anything out of eight. Is that what it is? You can make any letter, any, yeah, yeah, it's the like eight, in a yeah. calculator, whatever, just that classic. And supposedly it's the cover is supposed to be them. Like the one in the middle with the little spiky hair is supposed to be sting. Mm. Andy Summers is supposed to be the real plain one. And the one with the little Schwepp, that looks like as if you were looking at them as like faces, that's like Stuart Copeland. Okay. Um, but I remember seeing that on walls, like in a Sam Goody, a music plus 
Licorice Pizza because it was so eye-catching because it was just this black cover. It was the new album by The Police, and it was like it looked like your clock radio. And it looked kind of, and it's still, like I was, I was listening to this yesterday. <clears throat> it's one of my favorite albums by them. And it looks creepy. Like there's just this like this sense of like like mystery behind it. Be- and also because you know the connotation with you know it's what is who's the who's the writer of the book, the Ghost in the Machine. Um, um, it, it's it's not so much to do with that. Like it's not like this album isn't like a concept album that's supposed to be based on the book. It's just to me, I take it as like you know, hey, we're heading into the eighties. You know, there's a lot, there's technological booms and like maybe there's like undertones of like, you know, different de- social dependencies that people had on technology. And this album kind of has that place to me, the way I see it, of why it came out that way, you know, like, and this is just speculating, like, you know, why do, why do artists put out certain albums? Why do they title them certain things? Like, is there a deeper meaning? Is it just because it was like, it looks cool? Like, you know, I like to think that that's what it was, where it was like a timely thing. Um, and another reason why I remember seeing that in the wall and it stuck out, you got to think too, this is 1981. This is one like, Iron Maiden's putting out records and like, you know, they're new, like the, the, the British wave of heavy metal is starting to really come out. Like Judas Priest has already been around, but now they're putting out like British steel, which that's where America really started to catch on to them. Yeah. You have like Def Leppard putting out, um, what is it like high and dry? Um, lots of the hair metal stuff like Motley Crue starting to put out their first records. And then you have the old cats, like, you know, at this point, Led Zeppelin's done. The Who is kind of done. Kiss puts out music from The Elder. <laughs> oh, my God. I remember seeing that on the wall, too, and just be like, I am not touching that. It looks like the piece of shit that it is. That's, it, the, that's the album it's like with the, the, the door the, knocker? Yeah, there's there's no image of them. There's, it's just the door knocker. Yeah. Yeah, I remember being at the basement at the department store. I think it was either Zodi's or... One of those like stores, Montgomery over, Ward, yeah, Jemco in Norwalk, and I remember picking that album up and like wanting to buy it. Oh god! Just because it was Kiss, <laughs> and my aunt was like, "No," she just looked at the cover and was like, "You're not buying that album." And I was like, "Cause you know, she when, saved you. <laughs> she saved me because she thought something else completely different from yeah. what that was going to be. You know, with the with like these like, like evil the undertones, yeah." But she saved me in the long run. Um, the the funny th- the the one thing that I remember specifically about these last two records, the Ghost of the Machine and the Synchronicity, was <clears throat> being in college. So you know, this is what eighty one college. Yeah, hey, he's college man. Like college man. <laughs> it's like the worst two weeks of my fucking life. Um, this is like 92, 93, and I'm in psychology class, and the teacher who, he was a little bit, he was like, an, I don't want to say he was a cool teacher, but he definitely had a grasp on what the kids would understand. So when he was introducing this, um, this book by Carl Jung, who's a, a philosopher, uh, I don't want to say he's German or Swedish or something. I think he's German. Um he he was like, have you guys ever heard of the police synchronicity? And everyone was like, of course we have. He's like, that was heavily influenced by, by Sting being introduced to this mm. book. 
but going and then he went even deeper and he brought up this title which I've had I've never read this book but Arthur Kostler The Roots of Coincidence was apparently the oh, book Synchronicity that no the book that Ghost in the Machine was based oh, on okay. that introduced them into the world of Carl Jung mm. which then you know like you can see like the the seedlings of what was going to happen on Synchronicity with Spirits in the Material World rehumanize yourself like just the titles not omega man omega man yeah and like omega man and the uber man uber man is a is like a a german philosophy thing that was like that's your cab driver in the future <laughs> uber man and like so when you start like all this shit all these titles and the words and everything went over my head when I was younger, I just listened to the beat. I just listened to the groove of the song. Mm-hmm. But when I was in college and I was being like, you know, educated in these new, you know, new territories for myself, I was like, oh shit. So it really made me think about like, was this an intentional heady album words wise, you know, lyric wise uh-huh. as well as the music? Cause I mean, you have like three star players um, with, you know, the guitar player and, I, I, I don't know if it's because they're three pieces, but when you look at a band like a Rush or even like a Primus, like each person has to do so much work mm-hmm. because they're not relying on a five-piece band or they're not relying... You know what I mean? Like yeah, each guy has... Nobody like could the, hide behind anything else. Yeah, and the gravity of their music, sometimes it's not even like that intricate. It just fits. Like mm-hmm. Stuart Copeland is a phenomenal drummer. Uh, what is that? That was weird. Um, Stuart Copeland, you know, he's a phenomenal drummer. He, you know, Sting, I think Sting's like, you know, the way he's like, he just seems like a cool person when he was singing these songs and coming up with like, his solo stuff made him seem not very cool. <laughs> but uh-huh. his, but his, you know, these early like coming out of punk and coming out of like, come in with that, a lot of that reggae stuff. And I don't know, I don't want to say his bass playing is not good, but it's just not... It's not something that's like, to me, it's not the, like this phenomenal, but he's no, he's not a Stanley Clark or anything like that, mm-hmm. but it just fits like these things, you know, and, and they can't hide. Like, even if it's simpler stuff, it's the way that they come together that it's impresses. Reaction. Yeah. And, <clears throat> and so like learning of these authors and reading, like I, I didn't read the, the book, the synchronicity titled book by Young, but I read a couple other books by Carl Young. Um, one of them was like Modern Man in Search of a Soul. And I was like, I, I go back, listen to these songs, and I can see the influence that it had on the lyrics that he was writing uh-huh. and some of the theories. And it's like, it makes sense as an adult going back, you know, being a mm-hmm. 12-year-old kid listening to this music, I couldn't care less well, about yeah, that Well, yeah, if shit. you're talking about, too, the first single that we had by them was Do-Do-Do-Do. <laughs> fucking who wrote that? Was he reading Dr. Seuss? And then all of a sudden, he's reading Carl Young. But the other thing, like, when you listen to it, like, you listen to this record, it's almost like it's... This is the way I see this record. Spirits in the Material World and Every, Every Little Thing She Does is Magic. Those two songs are the first... That's what opens the record. Spirits in the Material World <laughs> is definitely pop reggae influence. It's got a really good bass line. I know you're saying that his bass playing, like... It's not even so much that he was very innovative. Like, yeah, in some cases he holds it down, but he really is a really good bass player. Um, 
the baseline on spirits in the material world, it's like, it's kind of dub, but it's fast and it's frenetic. But the way like this song is put together, it's like, it doesn't sound like anything else. Like it doesn't like their earlier stuff. It sounds like, like their first, their first three albums all has reggae stuff on it. Walking on the moon, Roxanne, big hit. Um, uh, so lonely, like uh, even stuff on uh, like a uh, man in a suitcase, canary in a cold mine has all this kind of like, like upbeat, like almost two tone ska, you know, like they're just playing like together as a band in a style because they're really phenomenal players that kind of how they started too. They kind of started and we're like, hey, let's let's just ride on this punk thing. We're way better than this, but let's just we could fit into this niche. Let's fucking bleach our hair and let's just look like this just to get our foot in the door. And then we'll really start writing the music that we're meant to write. I think this record doesn't necessarily get to the point where it's the police coming into their own. I think it's Sting coming into his own because this is where he basically just takes charge. And if you listen to the whole record, the first two songs sound like the police sounds like a single, like an a, like a double a sided single. Yeah. The rest of it sounds like Sting's so, first solo album. And like it's got like it's moving into that. yeah like it yeah. just sounds like and it probably has to do with like yeah maybe he was like a little bit more well read at that point or maybe this is just the point where he got where it was like okay I'm gonna I'm just gonna keep like flexing pushing my weight and just being more like dominant in this act and <clears throat> I don't know if Zenyatta Mandata came out in 1980 I believe it did. But my, my, they really didn't have that much time between that album and this album for him to take all that control. But that motherfucker must have been really busy because each album, they kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So by the time that he made demos for all of these songs, and apparently the story is that the demos were so good that they almost didn't even need to do anything to them. Yeah, I was just listening to the <clears> demos, <throat> and there was a lot that, even if they were like... Like scaled down recordings, they didn't sound too different from the the finished yeah, product. Like, and those were all done by him. Whether uh, it was him, I don't think he played all the instruments, but I mean, he wrote. Like, gotcha. it wasn't. It was no longer like the police as a collective. That's where I think it's like this is like Sting's band now. And then the thing that's really that's kind of unfortunate, which again, like this is why I think that this is more like a single, and then it's Sting's solo album, is. On every other album, everything shines. How you're talking about, like, comparing them to, like, Rush, where these guys, these three guys have to all shine in what they do best. This album, you don't even really realize that there's a guitar on it. Like, because there's horns now, there's keyboards, there's all these sequences. It's almost like um, in in the Rush documentary, there gets to a point where I think it's after, like, Grace After Pressure... Grace Under Pressure, I'm sorry, an album by Rush in the 80s where Getty Lee was introducing way more keyboards. Mm-hmm. Alex Lifeson, the guitar player, was like, what am I supposed to do now? Like, I have to make room sonically for all these keyboards, so why am I even in the band anymore? Right. And you listen to this album, and it's like, all the guitar's doing, for the most part, is just playing, like, little chords. Like, there's... You go a lo- back. A and, lot of it is that is that muted reggae. Yeah, strum. and it's it's so boring. Yeah, and Andy Summers is a f- he's a really fucking great guitar player. That's really like he's he kind of reminds me of the Edge in the sense that 
he's all about like the sound. Right. And creating good, you know, like little riffs and hooks. But like Zenyatta Mandata, like that is a guitar that has some guitar driven, you know, like songs with Sting singing really great, holding it down, and this fucking amazing, like phenomenal drummer just playing like kind of in some cases almost too busy but in a good way because Stuart Copeland he just holds that shit down he's a really hard-hitting drummer but his fills like he just has so much courage where it's just like you wouldn't normally put a fill right there but this motherfucker just jumps out and it's like you know what I'm gonna do this right here people who don't play drums aren't gonna understand what you're saying by Explain what a fill is. <laughs> well, it's like it's when you know. It's like if you're you're playing, you're you're keeping time. You're playing. So you have the basic beat. Measure, yeah, it's it's when you see the guy hitting the toms and the cymbals and being it's, flashy. You and know? it's not a solo. No, it's, it's just, just a fill. Like it's a, accentuating. It's like a guitar doing like like a, like little licks, you yeah. know, or like a singer doing the, howls and hoots like in the middle of a stanza. Um, but he's that good that he can. He's keeping the time and then throwing a fill on top of it. But they're and, brave, like and where not he losing puts them. and yeah. not losing his time. Well, like, yeah, remember in the Everybody Stares movie? That's the movie where it's him, Stuart Copeland, where he documented like he basically just took his camera for the entire career of the police, and then he put together a movie. I think it's like forty-five minutes, and it's just through his eye where right, he's yeah. filming. And there's this section where he has it up on a tripod. They're playing like the Reading Festival or something. And the motherfucker's talking to the camera, playing in front of like, you know, isn't he like 50,000 like, people? Like moving a fan to like, to, to, like he's doing all kinds of work to the side as he's playing the drum. Well, he's talking. <laughs> and then he's just, he stops talking and he just does yeah. this fucking crazy fill. And then and he comes like, back. Yeah. It's like, what an he's, asshole. Like yeah. he's that good. He's that good. But he kind of gets stifled on this record too, where. He's he's just keeping time like it's it's and if you listen to if you if you pass if you skip synchronicity and you go to Sting's first <clears throat> solo album, which I guess is produced by the same guy, which I didn't know. Yeah, it's produced by the same guy. Um, it's uh, Dream of the Blue Turtles. The fuck was he doing then? <laughs> um, he. Like those two albums sound like bookend albums where it's almost like. It's like world music and it's like borderline world music where it's like, I don't know, when I hear world music, it makes me cringe. Like I'm thinking Enya, I'm thinking Yanni, I'm thinking John Tesh. I was thinking about this the other day about how much I despise world music. I remember I was you somewhere. You despise the actual genre or the name? The genre. Oh, okay. Like there was one time we were somewhere, I think we we're at uh, uh, Louis J. Horvitz member, their, the offices. Oh, yeah. There was like a bunch of different production companies in in this one office in uh, Beverly Hills. And I remember I was being trained for this job. And the guy that I was with, he stops and then he sees this framed poster of like Paul Simon Graceland. And he's like, man, like that's my favorite album. And I was like thinking in my head, like, man, we're never going to be friends because that <laughs> album fucking sucks. <laughs> like, I don't know. To me, it's like. It's like it's like when it's like when a when a uh, when a Caucasian person has dreadlocks. Like there's just some things you should not do. I'm sorry, um, and I get it. Like staying in the police, they were playing like reggae or whatever. But like when it gets into like like that world music, it's like it just 
it's it becomes soulless, you know. And I think there's like hints of that on this where it's kind of borderline to me. That's, yeah, that's my opinion. I don't know if I own anything that's considered world music. There's like a well, let's check and throw it out. <laughs> there's like a very homogenized sound to world music, and like a lot of people are guilty of moving in that direction. Like Joe Strummer went that direction. He went to that world music direction. Um, Mickey Hart from Grateful Dead. Oh God, yeah, he it's, went. It's he, awful. he went in that direction. You know, there's like, there's like something that happens to people that are that are. You know, these are talented musicians that. Yeah, they start wearing sandals with <laughs> socks. That's what happens. Like, is it just does the acid get so strong that this is all you can handle now? Like, I don't. Maybe the world music is like a secret code for people that are just permanently on fucking drugs that just need to be relaxed and calm all the time. You know what world music's like? It's like those shoes that, like, have your, little spots toes? for you. Oh, my God. I remember the first time I went to Whole Foods and I saw some asshole walking out of the store with those, and I was like, something tells me I should not even set foot in this store. If this guy's coming out, I got no business being in there. Those, yeah, I can't look at, I can't take anybody seriously who wears those shoes. I mean, I've seen them. I've seen them in, in public. I mean, who's making those? That's a step up from Crocs with socks. Like Crocs with socks is almost cool. It's a step down. But that's what I mean. It's a, st- it's elevating that, that really cringeworthiness. Um, but yeah, the world music, the Dream of the Blue Turtles. There was a couple of songs on. I don't. There's something about an Englishman. I, I don't know. I don't have the titles in front of me, and my my internet's down, so I can't look it up. Um, something about an Englishman in the title, and it's like, it's a ho hum song. It's not that good. It, it's it was fucking huge. Hmm. Everybody, everybody who didn't like the police loved Sting, and it's it's like you almost forgot who he was and where he came from. Like Mm -hmm. people who were like, Oh, you know, do you have the sting? Right. You know, I, we worked at a record shop and like when people will come in looking for sting and like, Oh, you know, what's your favorite police album? And they look at you sideways. Like we don't listen to the police. Yeah. Well, that's remember (laughs) mom bought that CD. She bought dream of the bull turtles. Like she knew. She still has it. That's also coming off of just the strength of every breath you take too. Cause that turned and a lot of people just, where I think at that point, like culturally, it was already like, wait, who is the police? But everyone knew that song, and they mm-hmm. knew Sting was the singer because he had already become the star of the band. Right. And especially when you have this album where it's like, who, who, who even knows Andy Summers' name? Half the people, they know Stuart Copeland because also he's really, he's a personality. Right. Andy Summers is kind of just. Andy Summers, cut, is, you know? Andy Summers is like the 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 guy in Tears for Fears, the Roland guy. Yeah, or, he's like or, Andrew Ridgely from Wham. From Wham, I was just gonna say, I, I was but like, he's more. The, well, you know, what he, he's like John Oates. <laughs> and John Oates, he's really the songwriter, Hall of Notes, but he looks like the plumber. John like, Oates is is the best one of them. Um, the the stuff that I was looking or being, you know. I haven't I haven't listened to this album in a long time, and since we talked about doing this album, I broke it out, started listening to it, and there was some stuff in here that I had never really picked up on, and like, there's a lot of hidden dub. There's a lot of like mm-hmm. essence of dub. It's almost like if you had like 
this like if you took scientist and he just was like hey go produce this police album and don't tell anybody don't put your name on it but it but it's not like in your face dub it's just mm-hmm. like it's like just there enough to understand and and recognize it there's also this weird element of ska that i never picked up on i never picked like there was a couple songs where i'm like these could have been slit songs mm-hmm. or these could have been the selector songs you know well that's how the and, last album was kind of yeah and like the it's the cord every time I touch the cord. Oh, you want to pull it back on that loop? Like on that little hook. That's good. Okay. Um, the When I was listening to Rehumanize Yourself, and I was like, what does this sound like? And I was like, it's almost, it, it's, it's like, it's one of the songs that don't really fit into the rest of the album. In my opinion, it's, it's a very um, kind of jazzy, kind of fusion jazz, kind of like School Days, Stanley Clark, even like a little bit of Yellow Jackets in there. Mm-hmm. And like, when you hear it, when you go back and you hear that, like when the song gets going, it's basically, a, you know, a reggae song. But when it starts, it's got this weird, like concoction of you know this fusion jazz thing going on but it's all subtle it's not like again it's not in your face it's not just Mm -hmm. like oh this is a jazz fusion song but it's just enough in there to let you know this is the the way he's gonna go and that's where the world music boring shit comes into play not that i think stanley clark's not boring i don't think he's boring at all but you know what i mean like he has some records though that are kind of like sleepers yeah like the yellow jacket george duke and yeah but i think rehumanize yourself that's kind of like like that could have been on one of their older albums because it's more punky. It's got like a like once, some once it gets going. Yeah, yeah. But and that's the with him like getting into that fusion. Like you look at his players on his first uh, solo album. It's all fucking. It's all those types of players. So he kind of already knew what was happening. Right. The police could have. They could have ended before this. They could have never put out that next record. Um, which it's almost like by the time they get to synchronicity. It's kind of like that to me sounds like a police album because now you have King of Pain wrapped around your finger, every breath you take. Definitely the key to every breath you take to me is that fucking haunting guitar part. Who wrote it doesn't matter. Andy Summers played it. That's it's a police song. Um, and then also Synchronicity part ones and two, those are like fucking great pop songs with some like crazy uh I don't know which one, if it's one or two, but there's the one that's faster that starts off with the fucking, it's almost like a Dario Argento, like movie, like horror film, like a keyboard. And then the other one's just straight up, like almost power pop. Um, but, um, the, uh, what was I saying? I was talking about Andy Summers. Um, it's it's almost again it's like it goes from ghost in the machine and then it's almost like he's like okay let's make let's make another police album it sounds like a police album before i it almost leave. it almost makes sense to me that like just listening to it the lineage that it should have been synchronicity and then ghost in the machine and then sting's solo album right yeah Does that makes sense yeah like, no it makes sense it's it's the progression of this is just if we're talking about the progression of sting not the band itself, but with talking about it in the lineage of like where his path goes. What did what did Andy Summers do after after the police he broke did, up? He did a couple albums with Robert Fripp from uh, King Crimson, 
Because he actually came, he's older. He, I think he's like 10 years older than those dudes. Like the way they even came together, it was like Stuart Copeland was a band called Curved Air that was already like kind of established. And apparently he was at a pub and saw Sting playing in his band at the time and didn't care for the band, but saw something in Sting and then kind of like, you know, in a way, I guess, pursued him, meaning that he showed up again and then they started talking and they formed a band. They had another guitar player initially. At one point they were a four piece uh, until Andy Summers, who I think at that point when they got him, he was playing in a version of Gong, which is prog rock. I know Gong, you know? yeah. Planet, so like Planet Gong or just it's Gong. Gong. Gong, yeah. Him and Sting were like jazz cats. Stuart Copeland, I don't necessarily know if he was a jazz cat, but he definitely plays in that style. Um, yeah, because he even did a tribute album to the Lonious Monk, mm. uh, Andy Summers. But they were all like, you know, they were all really good musicians. And then they put out one single because their guitar player was actually like, he had some punk rock credibility. That's when they were just like, okay, well, let's be, let's ride this punk thing. And that's how we can get our name out. Apparently they, uh, well, Miles Copeland, that's Stuart Copeland's brother, is the one that managed the band. He's the one that was already getting his foot into that world and basically got them to put out their first single, which was Roxanne, and nobody gave a shit about it. And it's the same song, which is crazy because another reason, another reason why the police were really superstars. Remember when we saw the movie 48 Hours? There's an iconic scene where it's Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy in jail, listening to a Walkman, singing Roxanne, and it's like, you already knew that song. You knew, and it was funny, and it's still funny, and it's so, like, they were that popular where even now, someone could be making fun, emulating uh, Eddie Murphy doing the rocks, you know what I mean, yeah. like that, and it's like, that's the police, like... I think there was a, I don't know how true this is, but I think there was a time when the, the, in the popularity of that movie, that movie was huge. It was yeah. a blockbuster hit. Um, shortly after that movie came out, they were doing a concert or a reunion or something, and, and people were like, oh, you know, play Roxanne. And he, into the mic, was like, that song belongs to Eddie Murphy now. <laughs> like, I don't, even, I don't even have the rights to, yeah. to sing my own song. <laughs> Eddie Murphy made it such an iconic scene and his you know his rendition of it just acapella with the headphones mm -hmm. on is like amazing you know because yeah. you'll never forget that and for, for us hilarious. Who, who grew up you know there's people that have never seen that movie go watch that fucking movie it's hilarious um but and that and and i think i you know i don't know how true that story is so it I, probably is don't fact like check me show over or whatever. but apparently that's what happened um and it's the the gravity of the pop culture, like that song, I can't believe that nobody wanted anything to do with that song. Like the first time you hear it, yeah, well, it's great. Apparently, too, it was like they weren't the UK wasn't having them, and I think it was probably because like you know there were like punk rock was in full swing because their first album came out in like '77, Outlandos yeah. to You More. So that means that their and their first single Fallout, if you listen to it, it's good. But it does kind of sound like, like, oh, this is just like punk rock fakers, you know, like, like, you know, that song part time punks by television personalities, mm -hmm. like, it's um, like, they're making fun of bands that were like, you know, 
like just jumping on the bandwagon, you know? Yeah. And one thing, which I forgot to mention in when we did the clash, uh, there's a song, uh, white, white man in Hammersmith's Palais, which I got really upset. I used to, I love that song, but there's a lyric in there where he's talking shit about like the specials and the jam. He's basically saying, there's a lyric where he's saying, um, they wear Burton suits. You think it's funny turning rebellion into money where he's basically like calling out like the two tones and like mods that were, you know, like the jam, they wore it on their sleeves that they were like middle-class, you know, Paul Weller's dad was their manager and they were, they were out to be successful. They weren't trying to, Oh, we're going to be this and we're going to be that. And then he's talking shit about the specials, but it's like, you're the one that turned rebellion into money motherfucker. So anyways, I just, that made me upset because yeah. he's talking shit about great bands, whatever. And, but him trying to, you know, be something he's not. So I think the police already started out with like, not even backlash. They just weren't let in. So then they came to the States and then that's when people flipped out on them. Mm. Like they played at CBGB's and I'm sure they played at the Roxy and the whiskey, whatever. Um, Roxanne caught on over here. So they had to be imported, which is kind of weird too, because I never, th- I always thought the police were an American band. That's because Stuart Copeland is, you know, he, he, I think he grew up like in Africa or I don't know he what. Was he was all over the place, but he's American. He's American. Yeah. And then I never knew what fucking Andy Summers, because he never even, he never even <laughs> spoke. Obviously, Sting is English, but like they were one of those bands where it's like, well, what are they? Where are they from? And just because they were so big here, they just were kind of like a lot of bands. They were just adopted. They were just like, this is our band. It's almost like to the to the extent like the Rolling Stones to me. I mean, they're English, but by the time they get to the 70s, like they're fucking they're American, you know, it's like they mean so much to America and they've, they, why did all those bands spend so much time over here? Not just because there is more markets to play in, which that has something to do with it, but it's like all those motherfuckers came here to live here too, you know? Yeah. Everybody has a house in New York and in LA, even if they're from England, because it's like, this is where it was happening. Yeah. You know? Um, but they got, they got the reception here. They got the rowdy reception here where the people across the pond were more, I mean, except for the actual punk rock world, but the rest of the world, the rest of it was like, you know, they were like, they were upset at Bob Dylan for plugging in and being electric Mm -hmm. and, you know, playing that Royal Albert, Albert Hall thing where they're like calling him Judas and a liar, but they fucking paid for tickets and went in to go see him. You know, it's like, he doesn't give a fuck what they think of him. And he's like, you know, to Robbie Robertson, play fucking louder, yeah. you know, like fuck these people. So that's like, I think here the reception was warmer. Like everyone here needed, they needed the rock and roll. They needed the, they needed the British invasion to happen. Not because our rock and roll wasn't good, but you know, you had black artists here whose songs couldn't get played on the radio unless they were covered by white artists. So there was a lot of tension here that if you brought an artist from another country, like then you didn't matter. Then mm-hmm. anybody can, you know, be fanatical about them. I mean, I'm not sure if that's the case. It's like too, you know, analytical of it, but the, the need that we have, like to me, the, the police sounds like a band from Chicago. 
they don't sound like a band from New York. They don't sound like a band from LA. They have that like Midwestern, you know, it's been cold for eight months and we've locked ourselves in the room and, you know, made these albums, mm. um, you know, Wisconsin, Chicago, anything in that area, in that cold, you know, tundra kind of area. Um, and so like, yeah, I didn't know that. I didn't know Stuart Copeland was American until way later. <laughs> like mm. after finding out Sting was, you know, the only, the face of the band is British. Like, Oh, they're a British band. They don't sound like a British band, mm. you know? Yeah. But, but when you find that out, then you're like, oh, you assume they all are. And then you come, then 15 years later, like, oh, wait, the drummer's American? Like, yeah. Like, also, how does that too, work? Because it's hard to pin, like, like Sting, he doesn't sound like, like his, that voice, it's so, it's so, like, uncategorizable, like, if that's even a word. Like, he doesn't sound like anybody else, you know? He's, it's got kind of a, it's kind of nasally, it's kind of whiny, but it's just pleasant, you know? I don't know. Like, I never had a problem with his voice. There might be some people that can't stand it the way I can't stand Neil Young or something, you know? Yeah. But he also, to me, like, I think those three guys, if they didn't come together and form the police, you still would have, like, maybe not known who they were to the degree, but they would have all made something of themselves because they're just undeniable talents. We, as a society, were lucky enough that we got five albums out of this great band because, and then they're playing too. You like, you see live footage of them and they're fucking amazing. Like, yeah. that's why people flipped out on them. You listen to that first album, it's got, it's got songs, but it's got energy. You listen to their playing and it's a little bit more like, um, it's a little bit more daring. By the time they get to Regatta, LeBlanc, uh, Regatta de Blanc, it's like, that's the one with Roxanne walking on the moon. Right. It's like way more refined, but it's still like, it's, and in a sense, like they have some of that world, I hate world music, but it's <laughs> because it's just because it's so many different, like, it's not just like, I love the jam, but you listen to jam albums, you know what you're going to get from the start to the end. Until you get a little bit later, you know, the police were already just like, man, we're good at this. We're good at that. Zenyatta Mandata, again, like just amazing songs. Getting back to this now, like I was revisiting, listening to a song like everybody, every little thing she does is magic. Like, what is that? Like, it's such an easily digestible song. It's catchy. It's got hooks, but it's like. What is happening really in that song? It's got so many things going on, you know, like even the way that it starts, it's like in a, like kind of like a reggae beat, um, super just melodic, the way that he's singing. Like, I don't think that there's, you got to think again, like what was big in 81? You've got the fucking, you got metal. ACDC. You got ACDC. Black, Black and Black. Black just came out a year before. Yeah. You got the Scorpions. You got Judas Priest. Um, Blondie. That's a, a big, lot of a big lo one. Talking Heads. Talking Heads. Um, which they kind of got worldy too, if you think about it. Oh, yeah. He's um, David Byrne is all about that. But David Bowie's records. I think, what's that one that just came out in 80? It's the one, one of my favorite ones that I never remember the title. It's the one with fame and with uh, um, Up the Hill Backwards, uh, Ashes is, to Ashes. Is it the one where he's laying face down? No, it's like him. It's, there's like a, like a 
what are those clowns called? A he mime? Looks, no, like the other ones, the uh, Harlequin. He looks like a Harlequin oh, clown on the cover. That's right, yeah. What that came that? out in 1980. Um, Lou Reed probably had, I don't know what Lou Reed album was out at that time. But basically, like... There was a lot th- of different things going on at the oh, same yeah. time. Every little thing she does is magic, though. It's like, it's kind of from Mars. It's like, it's this weird, like, you can't really pigeonhole it, you know? And that's why it stands out so much. Like, it's like. I'm looking up that. I'm curious about that record. So I'm like, I have it too. I just got it recently. Uh, I love it. I can't think of the name. It was the Scary Monsters. Yeah, that album. Like, I think that came out in 80, 1980. Yeah. So that's the one where he's like in a kimono and then he's in the, he's in the, the fashion outfit, the video for fashion. I mm. think, or Ashes to No, Ashes to Ashes were yeah. like on the beach in those weird. I don't remember uh, outfits, and he's that's what he's on the cover on this one too. Um, yeah, scary monsters. Uh, yeah, I think I, it's hard to go back. It's hard because you know we we have the luxury of the internet now, and we can go back and be like, uh, you know, this came out, this came out, but like going back and actually remembering, and I have to go back to that thing that I was talking about last time uh, when I was talking about walking around with my little red transistor radio and listening to a pop station, the mighty six ninety, and everything that came on was every, I like almost liked every song that came on. I don't know if it was because I didn't know any better. You know, I was buying albums and I was re, you know, I was looking for stuff. I didn't have, it wasn't a library to go to except for what my library was, which was the fucking record store. Mm. But Anywhere I went that they were selling music, I I had to stop and look. Like it didn't matter if we were in Zodi's, Jemco, JCPenney, Cedars even had re- albums back in the day. You know, like mm-hmm. no matter where I went, I'd stop and I would look and I would just just want to consume, even if it was a bad thing. Like I didn't know the difference between what you know a Linda Ronstadt record was going to be or a fucking well, because you were a junkie already yeah like a kiss record was going to be like I just needed to see these things like I wanted to go and I wanted to touch them all and I wanted to look on there and be like you know like we listened to I don't remember any of the contemporary radio stations that like mom or dad listened to but like I remember these really big songs that would come on like an Elton John song would come on or like a Queen song would come on and I just loved, and I remember listening to Jared, my son, Jared. One day, we were in the car, and he was like, Dad, how come some of the songs have a certain sound to them? Like, he's like, I just like, we were, he was listening to a Queen song. And he was like, I just, and I think it was like, we, I think it was like a playlist I had. It was like Queen and Bowie and like, you know, everything that was in the, from the same era. And he was like, there's just something about that sound. And I'm like, yeah, it's, it's. It's the analog, you know, it's like real instruments. And it's not that I'm not that digital instruments aren't capable of creating really good music, but there's something about whatever was going on during that time. The tape, I don't know if it was the tape machines, I don't know if it was the rooms these albums were created in, 
you know, like Muscle Shoals and, and like how come so many good things came out of Muscle Shoals? Was it mm-hmm. the room? Was it the people wow. at the at the desk? What it was, was the it, room? You know? It was the board. It was the microphones. It was the school that all the producers came out of, and they all learned together. You know, and then again, like we're talking about the '80s, there's some big technological booms that were happening. Where there, I mean, it's not even that long before this that that you had that you're that you have 24 tracks. I mean, you know, you think about fucking. Um, What's it called? Uh, Sergeant Pepper's was still, I think, made on an eight track. Like that's 1967, right? So, a little over 20 years, you've already gone from eight tracks to 24 tracks, and shortly after that, then you can already just do 48, and then it's endless. It's like so. Yeah. It I just think, keeps extrapolating. I think double. the reason why the 80s has that sound. Because, and it's pretty drastic, even like in the police's records, you listen to their first record and you listen to this record. Um, I don't know who produced the first record. I don't know where they recorded it, but just 77 to 81, that is not that many years, but huge leaps as far as production is concerned. Right. Um, And yeah, like Queen was around still at this time too, putting out records, weren't they? Yeah. So... Like if you're saying like that, that, yeah, all these things had this certain sound, I think it has to do directly with like technology. And you got to think too, the record industry is really competitive. I'm sure every band, even the biggest bands, probably sometimes worse for the biggest bands to be like, man, you guys got to stay relevant. What's the next record? You know, put it out. What's, what's it going to be on it? Like, are we going to be able to sell it? You know, like, I don't think the police were the Rolling Stones yet. They might, I think after this record, before synchronicity like in that transition is when they turned into like the biggest band in the world where that was their like moniker for a while that the public deemed on them because they won like a bunch of grammys you know they're like van halen they headlined fucking uh the us festival yep. the new wave day like they couldn't get any bigger like it's, they were huge it's so funny because um getting into getting to do the the Super Bowl halftime shows. Um, Sting was at two of them. We did a concert. He was, we were, we actually had him back to back. So we did this concert for the, the 2002 Super Bowl. 2002? Um, yeah. That long ago? Yeah. It was in, it was in New Orleans. Damn. That and was a long time ago. it was, we had done, uh, U2 played that halftime show. U2 yeah. was the halftime show artist. But we did a, a concert the night before, and it was Sting, and Jam Master J was like our DJ. No Doubt was there. And it was funny because, like, um, this was post 9-11. So like 9-11 had just happened. And so, actually, that was the Super Bowl that actually... Got actually, pushed back to February. It got pushed because the NFL didn't play for a week or two yeah. because of the whole 9-11. I remember that. And... We had to go through these crazy like um, uh, compounds. You know, the the stadium was was the perimeters of the stadium were just super secure. There was tanks and marines and army people like walking around with sixteen. <laughs> and so you had to go through these like crazy long lines for security just to get to work. Like, we're, I'm just going to work. I'm not going. You know, I'm not doing, I'm not bringing not any equipment in. I'm literally yeah. just walking in to go to do my job. 
and this this group of people was in front of me and the, a couple of them had accents i couldn't really tell from where and then when we get into the actual lines where they separate us and put us to lines to go through metal detectors it's sting and he's literally standing right in front of me and he's like taking off his jacket and he's put emptying his pockets and he's going through the through the metal detectors and he's like he's like chatting with me because i'm right next to him you know yeah. not like he doesn't he has no idea who i am doesn't even know i'm working on the show he's just being a gentleman he's just being a nice guy and I'm just like, what the fuck? Sting's just like going through security, mm-hmm. like I am. Like there was that's how crazy and intense the security was at the mm-hmm. time. It didn't matter who you were, you were going through this. And you know, it was like a good twelve to fifteen minutes in line, like you know, side by side, going through all the different motions and stuff like that. And like, couldn't even come out. Like I just nodded, smiled, said hi. You know, didn't you know? Answered back little small one word answers. And I'm just sitting there going like the biggest like the biggest band in the world like the singer from the biggest band in the world so much of my personal music history and appreciation with this guy and he's just standing right next to me going through the security line mm-hmm. and i don't say anything beyond like i don't gush or talk about being a fan or anything i just like treat him like a guy mm-hmm. and he's just acting like a guy like he's so comfortable not being harassed by anybody i think yeah and just you know he's going in with all these other people that are working together yeah and it was just such a weird moment you know i run into i get to meet a lot of musicians and stuff on all these shows i do but when they re, when like do working with him then the next year we had him on the actual halftime show like we had a different we had a mixed did he bag do one? yeah he did the one in san diego we did it the very did next he do year police songs he did. He did some. He did some of his own personal stuff, and then I think he did "Don't Stand." I think that was one mm. of the police songs that he did, not with the police playing, but yeah, you know, we had different backup. Bands. Yeah, that was before their reunion. Yeah, and then you know, like the 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 things that impacted me, like the all my top favorite people, I got to work with, except for David Bowie. With the exception of David Bowie, I got to work with. You know, I got to work with Sting. I got to work with Paul McCartney. He did one of our halftime shows. And then right after Paul McCartney, it was the Rolling Stones. It was like, mm. to me, that was it. You know, Beatles, Stones, I'm done. I don't need to do this anymore. I quit. Mm-hmm. The very next year after the Stones, Prince. fucking Prince. And I didn't do that one. I and I was that like, one was awesome. If I could have just hang, hung out for one more year, I would have had like... That one was crazy. The, his was the best. His, to this day, Prince's halftime show is the best to date nobody's beaten him i don't give a fuck yeah that one was what awesome. genre of music you like or anything his performance killed everybody who's ever done it and he and got whoever shit will. from the public for that like football fans they're they're just trying to be like you know like trying to be men like oh well prance like that's just yeah now look who they get gay they get Katy perry beyonce and madonna justin timberlake <laughs> dancing around i i don't i like justin timberlake but it's like what does that have to do with football yeah like, that's just ridiculous. And, man, remember they had the Maroon 5? That was god-awful. So far, Maroon like, 5 really? has been one of the worst. I don't... I mean... They should, they, you know what they should do? They should fucking be real, get, like, a fucking school from the South's drum line and just do what halftime shows used to be and just have the balls to do that instead of trying to make it like a fucking... America's got... Like, it, it looks... It's At just this point, big. it all looks the same. Yeah. Not just that. It's not even that it's too big. You already, like, Tom Petty did it. Bruce Springsteen did it. Paul McCartney did it. Prince, you two did it. Prince Michael did Jackson it. did it. Like, <laughs> there's no one left. Yeah. 
You know, what are you going to have? Fucking Cardi B come out there? Prince did it, and that should have ended them all. Um, The when we did the one in Jacksonville, we actually had the FSU drumline as the opening act, like the the pre-show. That shit's dope. I've never, I've never been a big. I'm not a drumline. I'm not a drummer. I think drums are awesome, but I've never just sat and watched a drumline. They're I was awesome. Mesmerized. Like well, yeah, these they come guys out were do, like, do, 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 yeah, and I was like, do, 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 do. these guys are amazing. And like, then the motherfucker with the whistle be like, the drummer from um, Blink One Eight Two was a drummer. He's like a super nerdy. Drum. Tommy Lee was a drumline drummer. Yeah. The kid, what's his fucking name? He used to wear a fucking stupid hat. Travis like Barker was a drumline drummer. He was an Aquabat before he was in Blink-182. Yeah, I don't like him. Um, I, but he's a good drummer. Like, And I, like learning that he's like super nerded out and geeked out by like the drumlines, like, I had a little bit more respect for him. I'm like, oh, he just really loves drumming. Tommy Lee is an amazing drummer. I don't, I didn't know that he was in a drum line. I can't picture him being in the drum line. Like he looks just immediately just looks like a natural born rock star, you know, like he would be too cool to be in the drum line. Yeah. But that was back then though, when it didn't matter, it not that it didn't matter. It's like, that's like, like I'm sure like Van Halen, we talk about Van Halen again. It's like, those were the kids where it wasn't cool to be, because it wasn't real. Like it wasn't, it wasn't uh, cool yeah. to be a musician because it wasn't real. Like you remember when we went to school, I remember going to school and there was like, this is when we were in fucking like elementary school together. So that means that you had to have been like 11 or 12 and I was like five or six. And there were kids that had like earrings and fucking wearing like uh, jean jackets and they had like feathered hair. And I remember seeing those kids. I'm like, man, I wish I could be like that. Like, I want to wear those kind of clothes. And closest we got to get where we wore vans and, you know, we had, we had some of the cool gear, but like it was, it was definitely tamed because our, because one thing that I learned later was because we had two parents, all of my oh, little yeah. friends that were fucking, that I thought were so cool were fucking eight years old and they're bringing cigarettes to school. I'm like, <laughs> fuck yeah, this is who I want to hang out with. And then you find out later that they're coming from broken homes and they're getting their asses beat. It's like, well, so the trade-off, I guess, yeah, that's I guess the I'm, I'm more grateful that we grew up the way that we grew up where, so yeah, you can't dye your hair and you can't pierce your ear. And remember we used to do the, we used to get staples and fucking make little like you'd get you'd get a staple, you get two staples, and then you would like clamp them together and make these chains of staples, and then oh, make fake, fake earrings. earrings. And yeah. then you have to make sure to put on the left ear because if you put it on the right, <laughs> that means you're gay. And I remember being in I think it was fifth grade, and um, one of my teachers was like, "I didn't know your ear was pierced because I used to rock that." Just a staple. And I was like, I thought I was so badass with my fake earring. You know, I got a fake paper But then clips. make sure you take that off before you get home. A fake paperclip staple earring. I but remember getting my ear pierced at the indoor swap meet. Oh, yeah. I was No, no. How about when you got your fucking <laughs> nose pierced? But so, before the nose piercing, the ugh. ear piercing, I was, I was with... Ugh. I can't remember who I was with. And I was like, I couldn't remember which side... Was the cool side to get your ear pierced? None of them. So I got them both. I got oh, them both. I was yeah, like, buddy. I was like, I don't know if it's the left or the right. My friend was like, I think it's the right. And then my other friend was like, I think it's the, it's left. the left. Neither of them had ear had earrings. I'm like, you know what? And the lady just pulled out this crazy thing, this device, 
that went on both my ears and she just pierced them both. And I was like, I guess I got both my ears pierced. This one got infected. It still has a mark on it. The nose piercing oh my was God. the worst event. At the swap meet. <laughs> I mean, as soon as you walk in, when you see pair, that's the first time I was ever in a swap meet. When you got tennis shoes wrapped up in plastic, <laughs> that's a first sign to just get right back outside. It's not a hygienic place to get your nose this pierced. This fool, and it was this little Asian lady. With the gun, and it wasn't even this because this isn't when you know piercings now are all crazy. Well, they'll fucking you know pierce your eyeball and shit. <laughs> but she had a gun, stuck that shit on your nose, boom, just. <laughs> I think my eyes, and it wasn't even taken. Yeah, this motherfucker's crying. <laughs> The nose is bleeding. She's begging you like, you don't really want to do this. And you're like, yeah, no, yeah, let's do it, let's do it. <laughs> like, why? And then, not just that, but why? <laughs> Who wants to get their nose pierced? Unless you're like on the Serengeti. I did. And you're trying to put a bone through your nose mm. to signify that you're from, you know, the other side of the river. I'm blaming. Who the, in the hell? I'm blaming the goth kids for that. Even though, even though goth I Goth kids didn't pierce their noses? But I mean, like, I'm blaming them. I don't know why I wanted to get my nose pierced. I was not goth, even though I listened to that even music. Even that lady was like, <laughs> don't do it. Anyway, back to the police. Um, oh, another... Another funny police reference in a movie was Footloose, your favorite fucking movie back in the day. What part? I know that movie so well. They were in the bug and he was like, you heard of the police? And he was oh, like, oh, that's right. No, but I seen yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. was like, <laughs> right oh, yeah? Behind you. Oh, yeah, where? He's like, right behind you. And he was like, oh, shit, he's getting that pulled over funny. by the cops. And Chris Penn's character was like, I don't know what you're talking <laughs> that's, about. That's that's funny. <laughs> I do remember that now. But you know what's funny, too, look, about how, like, it's kind of a good thing that they, that they got backlashed because how generic is the name the police? How see-through is it that they're like, oh, let's just kind of look like punk rockers even though we're, we're not, you know? Yeah. And um, so it's like they almost, didn't, they almost didn't happen, but they were undeniable. They kind of turned into their own thing. Um, and it's just a given. It's been a given. Like I remember like when, you know, like by the time that we had already had that single, you had that single. Um, I don't remember buying any of their stuff until way later when I got out of high school, when I was working at the warehouse and like had the every UCD that was coming in, that's when I started buying the police records. Um, I didn't CDs buy, at least. I didn't buy Ghost in the Machine. Um, I don't remember when I bought it, but I did buy Synchronicity when it came out mm. uh, on CD. And I think, what's the pyramid cover? Zenyatta Mandata. I bought that one on tape. Mm. I had that on tape and I had Synchronicity on CD and I didn't buy any of these albums until more recently when mm-hmm. I wanted to go back. I'm like, oh, I really want to hear all of them. I wanted to buy all of them. And I think I got Outlandos, um, Synchronicity, and Ghost in the Machine. And I got, I think I have them all yeah. at this point. Yeah. There's only five. Yeah. I remember buying Outlandos two more. That was the first one that I bought. And that's when I was used to, when I used to spin records out. And that record rules. Like, it's just so good. That actually, that record too, it's cool. There's like... I think there's like four or five different covers where it's the cover 
it's them, the three of them, and then it's like the one I have is red. I think that's the most common. But then oh, there's like a like green the, one. It looks like the newspaper print type. Like the typeface is very generic, like a typewriter type. The bit. type, yeah, yeah. But no, the where it says the police is like in their oh, bowl. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the one I have is red, but there's a green one, there's a blue one, there's a yellow one. Oh, okay. Um, so it's kind of cool. Like I've always wanted to, like when I see the different ones, I kind of want to get it, but I'm like, ah, I don't really need it maybe eventually. But, um, so like, yeah, their first three records, I'll have them on the cover where it's just the three of them. And then like, that's, what's kind of cool. Like ghost in the machine, it's the computer, but it's supposed to be them. Render. I see. I never knew that. And then synchronicity, it's they're the, all on there, but it's like a montage of like, like pictures. It's like yellow, and, red, and blue paint dripping with, yeah. with the pictures of them. It yeah. reminds me of some 80s artists. Like, I don't know. It's just that style, too. Like Yeah, it was the 80s. And then it's like one of those where the sleeve is designed where the, the record comes out from the top. Like, that's the way right, the, right, right, the right. sleeve design is. Still, all of them on A&M. Um, but uh, just to go back, I want to, like, because we talked about, like, you know, the songs little bit of the songs this is one thing that i thought was interesting which omega man was the label they wanted to have that be the first single hmm. or a single that came out sting refused it but andy summers wrote that and i wonder if it was that he was basically pulling a fucking oh like you know, he didn't want that as a single because it wasn't his that he yeah wrote. you know like ah. it's almost like like i think we talked about this before but there was like Jimi hendrix like when they put out, um, he put out his second record as the Jimi Hendrix Experience, uh, Axis Bold as Love. And there's a song on there that Noel Redding wrote um, called She's So Fine. And I, I remember reading the story about they're playing some shows on that tour and the crowd was calling for that song. But Noel Redding sings it. He wrote it and Jimi Hendrix refused to play it. And it's wow. like, man, that's like out of control ego like where it's it's the point where it's like if you have that much ego then really you're you're just showing how lack of confidence that you really have you know it's almost like if i saw like if I, i'm imagining like charlie parker bird nobody could fuck with him when he was at his height even when he's coming up I'm sure there was probably times where if someone was like, hey, man, let me take a solo, he probably was so confident. And I was like, you go ahead and do whatever you fucking want. Yeah. Because as soon as I get I'm back on, it no, matter no what one's I, even going to fucking yeah. remember that you were here. That's the kind of fucking confidence that it takes for someone where it's like, it's like beyond egoism. Yeah. It's like when it's this whole like, no, you're not taking my spotlight. It's like, that's because the inside you're fucking that yeah. big. You know what well, I mean? Well, I mean... In any art, it's sad. In any art, the insecurity always is underneath the biggest, boldest ego that there is. Like the reason that that exists is because that person is so insecure. Exactly. You know, and they need to be, they need to have their name on everything. They need to put, take credit for everything, even if the credit isn't due to them. Yeah. Like I'd like to see. Go ahead. No. And I was just saying, like, that's just. But it's weird because, I, I mean, you know, th when you think about Jimmy and the words that he's saying, like, you don't think of him that way, mm -hmm. you know? Then, then you really think about, like, well, everything had the Jimi Hendrix experience on it. It's yeah. like, it couldn't be any more egotistical at that point. Yeah, but that was kind of manufactured, too, because, but again, it's like, I like to see when the people, like, the true fucking 
motherfuckers that like even like within I know this is kind of like a tangent but when I think of cooking because that's what I do for a living like there's some chefs where it's like they either don't want to give their recipes out or they don't want people stealing their shit it's like man if you're the man then it's like hey I just made this sauce here's everything I use to make it go Go ahead and try yeah like that's the motherfucker that's got balls of steel that's just like I don't care what you do or what that's that is like fucking like Jack Johnson stepping into a ring and being like, who the fuck wants to try or like Muhammad Ali, you know? Yeah. And um, and even with his, you know, we're getting into like lots of different things, but still it's like, I don't know. I just I thought that was kind of shitty that, you know, and again, spirits in the material world, undeniable wasn't it. it, There's no way it wasn't going to be a hit. Every little thing she does is magic is a song from Mars. Invisible Sun was uh, another single that was not released in the U.S. And it's kind of weird because it's it's not really single material, I don't think. I mean, I think it's kind of subpar compared to everything else that they've put I out think, by this time with I singles. Think the, I think in the 80s, Invisible Sun is a very like, I think that's like something that a a filmmaker would need as a single that's not... That's not spirits in the material. We're like, oh, we want to use a police song in this movie. Like putting Invisible Sun. Like I don't even know if it's on a soundtrack, but it's mm. a perfect soundtrack song. Yeah, you know, it's like it's recognizable that it's that it's the police, but it's not the it's like backgroundy. Yeah, and it's got that like it's got that very. Gen- I like the song. I think it's a good song, but it's just like the repetitiveness in it. It's like a very good thing to put inside of a movie that is that is uh. You know, like you, you know, it's the police, but you don't. It's not a recognizable hit. Yeah, <clears throat> like if you, it's put, gonna accentuate something and yeah. not just have to stand on its own. Kind of the the song though, the second to last song, "Secret Journey," is pretty awesome. That's I think like the darkest. Even though the last song is called "Darkness," I think the darkest song on the album is "Secret Journey." Um, Demolition Man. That song was adopted later. In the movie Demolition Man with right, Wesley Snipes, the Wesley Snipes movie. Yeah. But um, anyways, I don't know. I th- I think Demolition uh, Man is the longest song on the album. It's fucking six minutes. Yeah, it's like everything else is coming in at three, except every little thing she does is magic. Is like four and a half. Before before we get into the rating, because we kind of talked a little bit about all their records, not thinking too much about it. But what do you think? What's like your favorite Police album? Um, I think as an album, the one that I would listen to, like the one that I reach for is the first one. Hmm. So like, you know, when you're, when you, that's the way I, it's hard for me to say, like, I like parts of all of them. Yeah. I like parts or is it the second one? Might be the second one. I'm looking at the, I'm looking Second one has the message in a bottle. Well, the first one is like the punk, like peanuts. So lonely. Uh, with exception, you. with exception of Roxanne, a lot of the first one is like the punker, the mm-hmm. punkier stuff. So I, I correct myself. It's the second record that I think is the best. Regatta de Blanc. That's my favorite. Yeah. Too. So like, message in a bottle, bring on the night. Walking on the moon is like a fucking amazing record. But like, walking on the moon and King of Pain sound like bookend songs. Like, mm-hmm. like Walking on the Moon sounds like the beginning, yeah. and King of Pain sounds like the end. Real haunting. And yeah, like, like they, almost, they almost bookend each other. Like See, and that's why... It's I, a preclude to what 
king of pain is going to be. Like, I think that's why I think like synchronicity is like a police album and Ghost in the Machine is like a sting album. Right. Yeah. Because like, like King of Pain and uh, even uh, what's the other big hit? Not every breath you take, but the um, wrapped around your finger. Wrapped around your finger. Yeah. Like that's and that sounds kind of like spirits in the material world. Like it just has that haunting. It's about the keyboards. It's about just the way the song's written. All the hits are on side two. Side one is Synchronicity, Walking in Your Footsteps, Oh My God, Mother, Miss Gradenko, Synchronicity 2. And then the side two is Every Breath You Take, King of Pain, Wrapped Around Your Finger. Like, yeah, that it's almost thing like an just, EP. Like, yeah. It's weird. Um, I think the side two of Synchronicity is probably something I listen to more as an adult. Yeah. You know, like as I got older, something that I would like, oh, I really want, but I wouldn't listen to the first side. I would mm. listen to the second side. But listening to the second album, I think all That's the way pretty through. Bold too, because I don't know when it happened, but there's definitely a time. I definitely saw this in like the 2000s <laughs> when albums came out and it was like almost every album that came out, song three was the hit. On side one. Oh, I see what you're and saying. And this yeah. is when there's no like more a formula. There's no more sides because it's just CDs at this point. Right. You yeah. Know? Um, but for all the hits to be at the end, that's bold where it's like, let's make these motherfuckers turn this thing over. <laughs> yeah. You know, because then you could just throw it away. The, yeah. This album, it's like you got the first two hits on the first side. How many people like probably face, even, yeah. even made it through the whole rest of the record? Just well, being realistic. Well, that's why when I was saying, like, when I was, I was like, you know, we haven't listened to this album in such a long time. And then, you know, brick dusting it off to, to get to, like, do my homework for this. And I was like, Spirits in the Material World, Every Little Thing She Does Is Magic, Even Invisible Sun. I didn't even have to play those all the way through knowing what I was going to listen, what I was going to yeah. hear. And then the last two tracks on the first side, and then the next side, Too Much Information. I almost forgot about that song. Mm -hmm. Rehumanize Yourself. I was like, this is a fucking great song. Like, it really it really made me go back and reappreciate a lot of the things that I didn't really understand what was going on back in the day. Like, you know, I listened to all the music that, that in my head influenced this particular album. I've listened to on separate occasions. I got into dub. I got into, you know, I was heavily into reggae when I was younger, but I didn't really get into the dub aspect of it. I got mm -hmm. into dub, you know, later, like the King Tubby and the Lee Scratch Perry stuff, like the real deep, heady stuff later. Mm -hmm. And I've always, you know, I was into ska back in the day. I was like, I loved the specials and all the popular ska stuff that was going on, like the early ska stuff, not selector and not the English beat. Was there a second wave of ska? Like, would like kind the of, skanking that like, pickle yeah, that's type shit? Like, that's not what I mean that's by ska, good. you know? Um, like real two tone revival ska. Yeah, like right late seven coming right off of the the Jamaican ska that the british people took and like you know made something out of madness the selector all that stuff and so like going back and listening to this record now um the ghost in the machine record <clears throat> i was like wow there's stuff on here that i never really digested and i think it's worth listening to all over again and, and I, was, I was like you know and like i didn't have stanley clark in my in my library of my, you know, in my 
library that exists in my head of music that I can call on. Mm. You know, I didn't, I didn't, and I was like, wait a minute, there's some of that aspect in here. And I didn't know what that was back then. Even Mm. if I was exposed to it, I wasn't, I wasn't, my brain was working too fast to consume everything Mm -hmm. that I wasn't really in a position to be like, Oh, this sounds like that. And like this, I was just like, no, just give me this. These, these were jazz cats, at least two of them that were playing in a pop band. Right. You know? And like, you know, you're talking about like dub, like you listen to the baseline and spirits of the material world. It is heavy dub baseline. Yeah. And that's the first thing you hear is that bump, bump, bump. And then do, 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 do. It's like, it's like, what the, what is going to happen right now? And a lot of the, that just that simple Jamaican muted string guitar plucks, you know, Mm -hmm. just like, what Which, you were saying earlier that Andy didn't really have much to do, <laughs> like on this record. Yeah, this album probably sucked <laughs> for him. He's like, "What do I? What like, am I? What am I going to do?" You I want to make. I want to make music, and you just have me here. There's, there's, you know, doing the Sly and Robbie background shit. Stuart Copeland was like talking. I heard about this album in particular, where he, because again, going back, we we're talking about the demos being so good, where he was just like, "Man, like, I just want to leave my mark on this in some way." Where on again, like those first two songs, that's him playing the drums. He's on all of it, but like the rest of it, it sounds like it could just be anybody. Like it are like again, it sounds like it's like Sting, right? Like being confined in the band, the police, but was already working it in a way where it was like by the time I. I keep writing my own material. It's not going to matter who's behind the drums. It's not right, going to matter. You know, if there even is a guitar player, because it's just going to be about my songs and my voice. Yeah. And that's like what you're saying. His the natural progression of him. He in his head, he knew he was on his way to be a solo artist. He knew he was. And I don't want to say he was outgrowing these guys. He was just going in a different direction because I don't think he could outgrow these two musicians. Like these two musicians were they almost were like better than him in the in their musicianship well but, in the execution but, but they maybe not in the construction of, of writing songs yeah. yeah they needed him to one write of the, one of the things i forgot i was going to mention was a horrible experience i had i went to see this band that was heralded as the next you know great super group which was called oysterhead and it's Stuart copeland les claypool from primus and trey anastasio from uh, fish who i am not a fish fan Ugh. but I recognize that Trey is a good guitar player. I'm just not a fan I like of sea bass. <laughs> I'm not a fan of his music. I've, I don't. I don't even. I can't name a fish song. But as soon as I hear that music, thank I went, God. Like Ed. if you could name a fish song, you might as well put those fucking <laughs> shoe toes on or whatever they are. Well, your friend Ed was playing fish one what? time. Yeah, we were at. Remember when you guys had Please. the? Remember when you guys had the pool in the gang party? Uh huh. Whose house was that? That was Ed's house. Okay, so that house that he lived in in Long Beach. We were hanging out like one afternoon. It was like I I just got off work, and we. I don't remember any of this. I don't think you were there. I think it was just. Oh, good. I think it was just Ed and I, and maybe one other person were just hanging out. I think we were gonna play video games or something. I don't remember. Anyway, Ed was had this music on, and I was like, I was like. In my head, I was like really upset and disappointed because <laughs> I didn't know I didn't recognize the music. And I was like, hey, 
what is this? Is this like some, because, you know, I listen to the Grateful Dead, but I'm not like a Grateful Dead head that knows all the tapes from all the different concerts. And like this sounded Nobody like does. this sounded like some shit that the dead had put out when they were just at their worst. And I was like, hey, Ed, what are you listening to? And he was like, oh, oh, it's fish. Do you like this? And I was like, I actually it's actually hurting my head. Can you change this? And he was like, you don't like this? And I was like, dude, I don't know what's going on. The fish has gone bad. I don't know how you like this. And Ed's a musician. And I was like, I don't know why you like this, but fuck, please turn this shit off. I can't hang out with you. And it was just fucking hilarious. But anyway, the Oysterhead concert disappointed my heart so much because I'm like, I love Les Claypool. I love Stuart Copeland. I'm not a Fish fan, but I know that this guy has chops and he can play guitar. This was garbage this was mm-hmm. just hot fucking garbage it doesn't matter I'm if so like sad that people I went are to it. good like not every you know but in your in your head you think that sounds great like that sounds like it's going to be phenomenal and then it's like a letdown yeah well that's why i don't know you could do that in jazz because jazz is different you know well yeah jazz is different but the structure of jazz lends itself to you have to be the fucking that good to hang out in the jazz culture you can't just be like i'm a rock star from this band i'm a rock star from this band let's meet up and let's play together what's the song it's something gray the last like grateful dead song the Touch of video. Gray? yeah that's a good grateful dead song it's like that song and all the early stuff like casey jones uh basically I mean, their first record and then that last song I mean, I like a lot of the Grateful Dead. I like a lot of the middle stuff too, like the. I think it's like U.S. Blues. Like, I'd rather listen to the Flying Burrito Brothers. Like, um, I like the Flying Burritos brother, Flying Burrito Brothers too, but the Flying Burrito Brothers got real. Like the Grateful Dead weren't as country. Like they had the country tones, but the Flying Burrito Brothers were way more country to me. Mm-hmm. You know. I love listening to Grant Parsons' voice, though. That's, I think that's the difference. Is like his voice was worth listening to. Well, yeah, that's why. I like the, I don't know, but whatever. But yeah. So, what would you rate this album? Um, being reintroduced to it, it 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 went up a few points for me. I I think I originally was putting this in like not a must own. I don't know if that sounds. I'm not trying to demean the band or be like. Like, if you're into the police, I think you're gonna. This is gonna cross your path. But if you're like a, a new, so you're saying mis- like, if you're like a a new young listener that has never picked up a police record, this isn't the one I'm gonna recommend. So you're saying it's not integral to their catalog, even no. though they only have five. That's yeah. And I mean, it's hard to say That's because true, they though. only have five. It is true though. It's a hard thing to say because. Who am I to say that? I don't have any fucking albums on, I, I feel that, under my belt. <laughs> I feel that way too, though, but that's why I wanted to do this album. Yeah. I be- think this would be, because I feel like there's more to explore on it now at, this, at, at where I'm at in my listening you know, ventures, I would say this is going to be like a six and a half. Like, it's not poor. It's got some, it's got some good cuts on it, and it's got some interesting things on it. But I don't think that it's... A seven or above to me means you have to, this has to be something that you pick up and listen to at some point. Yeah. Yeah. I would say eights are essential. Me, I'd rate this at like at a seven because for me again, like I think it's like, I think it's a police single 
with those first two songs, which are just undeniable. Like that, those songs are are essential. Like if there's, you know, there's police greatest hits, it's those two songs from this album. Um, and then the Def- rest of the album is like Sting's first solo album. Right. That's I, how I see this, this if record. If you were like, compiling a greatest hits, those, those for, I would put the first three songs on the greatest hits. Yeah. See, and I'm not feeling, I mean, like I like Invisible Sun, but I like Secret Journey better. And I like, uh, Omega Man and Rehumanize Yourself. Those are the two songs. Cause I had, I also had this on tape when I mm. used to drive around. Um, I had a company car and I had a tape deck and I used to go to record surplus to buy records. And then one day it just dawned on me cause they had a wall full of tapes and they were like a dollar. Didn't matter what the tape was. Oh, yeah. And I was like, shit, I'm driving this car around. There's a fucking tape deck. Might as well. And then I just it. started racking up tapes and I was buying tapes that was like albums that i always should have just bought but i was just like you know like because this would this would have been one of those records where i'm a kid i'm in the store am i gonna buy that or am i gonna go and try to buy like a new or new to me like sex pistols uh import or something you know right right or am i gonna buy you know because i at maybe around this time i was really into like Jimi hendrix so i was trying to it's weird i always got into bands or artists that I just fell in love with and I wanted everything I could find, but the ones I chose had almost nothing to offer. Like <laughs> Sex Pistols put out one record. Jimi Hendrix Experience put out three records, but I found everything else you can find. Like you even bought me a a, a Jimi Hendrix uh, bootleg, which it's, it's now like a, a legendary concert that he played in like, it's some tape recorded performance of him at a club with like jim morrison singing oh yeah that was in johnny winter playing guitar yeah it's at the it was um, in new york and it was jim morrison it's not a cafe watch some club or yeah, whatever and it, was it sounds a, like shit but it was just cool because it was like man it's it crazy it sounds like shit but i listened to it a lot because fucking jim morrison and Jimi hendrix together is just insane that's an insane pair like who knows what the fuck's going on in that room with these two guys you know but I remember buying it on tape and then I listened to it and you're talking, you're going back to ghost. Yeah. yeah. And like, again, like the two singles that are always known. And at that point I was just kind of like, ah, I don't need to hear these. I could hear these. Like I could take the tape out and that one of those songs could be like fucking on the radio. But the ones that stuck out to me were rehumanize yourself and Omega man. And not till recently secret journeys kind of like the sleeper for me on this album, but I would give it like a seven. Um, but I think it's it is definitely an important album in their history, and also being that it's the first record produced by the guy that basically stuck with Sting for a while after that, and really had contributed to like they're evolving with the sound, like sonically, like right. this is a big jump. Like Zenyatta Mandata's, that's the record where they came into their own, turning into the biggest band in the world. And it's great, but it's like a giant leap as far as I can, yeah. you know, recall. Yeah, I'm, I, I agree with that. I think... Um, I love the artwork, though, of the album. I do love it a lot. I think the intrigue of the philosoph- 
the philosophy behind the books that are apparently behind the interest of him writing these songs got me more intrigued than the music itself when the album came out. Mm. Like going back, like going, you know, like if I have time to go and read those two books and then like go back and listen to the record, that would be something interesting. I mean, you know, I have that kind of time now. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> when I was a teenager, I wouldn't even you know spend a moment to think about even possibly doing that you know like you you think about it you think about the way you consume music in in the different periods of your life and like now the way that I, the, even when i go to amoeba i can walk into amoeba spend an hour amoeba is a local los angeles record store here it's like the biggest one we have here um that took over all the little shops and now the little shops are coming back and popping up which is great um but i can i can walk into amoeba even with money in my pocket and walk out without having purchased a thing. You know, I've done that many times. I sucks. would walk into a record store at the age of 13 with $9 in my pocket and I could not leave without buying something. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't even know what album I wanted to buy. I just knew I needed to buy an album. Well, and it was harder back then too because sometimes you're there and you're just like, I want to buy everything. Either you want to buy everything or you don't know what you want to buy. Yeah. And those are both good places to be <laughs> yeah. because you're just such a... Yeah. And I, I feel that way too. I've been into Amoeba where I'm just like, I'm an open book. Like I don't necessarily... Everyone has their list in the back of their mind. Sometimes yeah. people try to go in with the list. That never works for me. Um, but I'll go in there and I'll go to like the two like new releases, like newly... All the stuff that's on the floor that just came in used wise, that's where I go. And then oh, I'm the looking. recent arrivals, yeah. yeah. And sometimes it shoots me in the ass when I'm just like, I have no idea what I'm looking for. Yeah. If I see my white whales, obviously, if it's priced right, I'm going to grab it. But there's nothing worse when you've got a pocket full of money and you're like, I'll buy anything. And yeah. it's like, I can't find shit. I remember one of the best times going in there. I sold a bunch of stuff. I think it was all CDs and movies and stuff like that. And I had like a crazy uh, uh, credit. I had like a four. Crazy credit. I had like a four. Oh, you coming in here (laughs) getting that crazy credit. I think when the guy called, like it was one of those buys where I had to leave and he was like, I'll call you. Like he had to take time to go through it all. And then when he called me over the loudspeaker, like, oh, your your buy is done. I went to the buy counter and he was like, you have like $560 in credit. All I heard was that. And I was like, <laughs> I immediately went to the back wall and the back wall of this store. You know, it's like a two story building, but it's an open ceiling, you know, open floor plan. So it's the ceiling is as high as a two story building, but it's just open air. I went straight to the back wall and I started calling fucking albums down. You know, these are like 50, $60 records. One of them was like a hundred I pulled down so many records and I, in my head, I'm like $560. I can get, you know, Everything. eight good. Re- I can get eight of these. Records. I went to the fucking, bu- to the counter. Once I did all my shopping, I have a $560 credit and I have a $750 fucking ticket. Yeah, exactly. price. I had to pay Put all that shit back. I had to pay $200. <laughs> and I was like, I was so disappointed. I had to sit there and be like, well, okay, yeah, dumbass. which one do I put back? I was just so blinded. I was so excited. I've never, I've never walked into a record store with $500 worth of buying power. That's fucking crazy. Yeah, and like you just got out of jail <laughs> and just fucking walked into a smorgasbord. 
You're like, oh, like I'm at the Golden Corral. Fucking Brutus at a smorgasbord. But yeah, anyway. Um, I don't... If, you listen, if you've never heard The Police or you've only heard the, the main popular songs, buy some of their records. Go, you know, buy the first three records and then... Take your pick on the last two. Which ones you should you should listen to? I think I think the I think the police are definitely worthy, only because too they I mean they sold millions of records. You could probably walk into a store. You're probably gonna have to pay more for their first two, and then everything else you can find for cheap. I would just buy all of them. I think I found. I think the, they're all worthy of that. I think I found them all for like five bucks. Yeah, they're. Because like five ninety nine, yeah, they're they're the pressings like aren't the so pressings rare. aren't limited. You can definitely find these records somewhere. Anyway, um, I don't have any other things to add. Closing thoughts. Uh-oh. Just listen to the police. Skip yep. skip the world music sting records. Oh my god, it's the worst. <laughs> listen to well, the, the first one's not too bad. <laughs> All right, thank you. Bye.